welcome to the Gridiron Show, and it is here. It is upon us. Draft day. Cannot wait. Very, very, very excited for the first round to get underway later tonight from Nashville, Tennessee. Coming up on the show today, Simon Clancy and Matt Sherry break down some of the key defensive positions and answer your listener questions on the day of the draft. Plus, we get the latest odds with Skybet. This is the Gridiron Show. Okay, welcome to the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, I'm uh, just literally doing a little intro and an outro to this show today, but just letting you know about some of our great draft coverage coming up, both on the website at gridiron-magazine.com. Of course, on the Twitter page, at Gridiron, will be up to date on all of the picks. I, myself, am going to be, I think, doing updates from home. Maybe in bed, maybe on the sofa, definitely in my pants. Uh, watching the draft on TV, I'll be giving regular updates on Talk Sport into Extra Time with Jordan Jarrett Bryan uh, throughout the first round. Uh, but you can get loads of great content from Matt Sherry and Simon Clancy, who are getting together to watch the draft together, as they'll tell you in a short while at Gridiron on Twitter. And then we'll be doing a podcast. Maybe in the wee hours of the morning, maybe after everyone's got a few hours sleep, but certainly on Friday we'll be doing a snap first round reaction podcast for you. So tomorrow morning, we hope you do get a chance to listen to this podcast uh, before tonight's draft. Uh, Right, I'll be back a little bit later in the show with our friends at Skybet, but I'm going to hand you over now to Simon Clancy and Matt Sherry for your final Gridiron Draft Primer. Yeah, thanks very much, Will. Me and Simon are back here just getting ready now. We're so close, me and Si getting together tomorrow for or today, if you're listening on Thursday, which you will be for the draft. Um, si, just as a little bit of housekeeping first, let's finish the series that we've done throughout our little podcast so far in in relatively quick quick fashion, because I, I, I don't feel like these... I feel like we've covered the big position groups in this draft, but let's start at linebacker where we think... Really, there are two guys who are head and shoulders above the class. I have my personal preference as to which of those two I like most, but I can see why teams would like both. Tell us about Devin White and Devin Bush, and then also just just kind of round up the linebacker class beyond those guys for us. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, really. I I am a Devin Bush. I mean, I I like them both, frankly. They're one I put in the magazine that they're one, and they're one A for me. I mean, Devin Bush, Michigan linebacker, he's slightly undersized. I suppose he's five eleven, but he is heavy handed. He is very fast, very athletic. What I mean by heavy handed is he will he will attack the hole. So as an off ball linebacker, he will attack the hole, and he will get his hands into the offensive interior alignment and then be able to disengage and make the tackle. And you see that over and over again on film. He's got great vision, great eyes. He can get sideline to sideline. His father was Devin Bush, who uh, was with the Super Bowl champion Rams as a safety, a first-round pick out of um, Florida State back in the late 90s. Falcons took him. Uh, I just think he's rangy. He's great in coverage. Uh, you can use him as a blitzer. I just think size-wise, you'll need to you'll need to cover him up a little bit. And, and and probably actually best works in, in a in a three four actually if you're going to cover him up I, I suspect that two four three teams the Denver Broncos and the Cincinnati Bengals will be very interested at ten and eleven uh, and certainly for Vic Fangio they'll be looking at a Roquan Smith type Devin White ridiculously athletic six foot two thirty seven not quite as instinctive I don't think I, you see it on film and you see the instinctive plays at LSU made by Grant Delpit who's the free safety who'll be a very high first round pick picked last year he was a running back very highly recruited as a running back um and then 
I think really two years ago as a junior, that's when he really started to kick on. He is a great kid off the field, a, a very high character kid. Um, and he's absolutely huge. I mean, in terms of his physical presence uh, and just athletic, he will make plays all over the field, forwards, backwards, sideline to sideline. And really it's those two guys as off-ball linebackers. And then there's a, a, a fairly significant gap, I think, then to, to Mac Wilson of Alabama. Um, who's a, a thumper on on first and second down. I think he's pretty instinctive. I think he can certainly work in the zone. Um, he, sometimes he's just a little bit hesitant, I think, to pull the trigger once or twice. Um, but I think he's probably a second-round pick. And then uh, and really after that, it's, it's pick your poison. I think... Um, there's certainly, you look at somebody like Jelani Tavai of Hawaii, uh, could be a sort of under-the-radar linebacker that ends up going in the second or third round. Um, teams really like him a lot. Amike um, Egbule of Houston, very heavy-handed. Uh, Blake Cashman of Minnesota is a real tackling machine. Uh, Cody Barton of Utah, of course. Um, and then some of those sort of more high-profile players that you saw in the college football playoff. And, and by that, I mean... Um, I mean, um, Tavion Coney of Notre Dame, Drew Tranquil of Notre Dame, and then the Clemson kids, Trey Lamar um, uh, and Kendall Joseph. Joseph probably rated lower than, than the others. One one guy to keep an eye on, I think Jermaine Pratt of NC State. Uh, I think he's a range, he's converted safety, so he's good in coverage. He's rangy, he's very aggressive. I think he's a starter uh, as, a, as a will linebacker. But overall, it's not a great group. It is really, it's Bush and White and then everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm similar to you in that I think Bush just ahead of White. Not just because I'm a Michigan fan, but I, I do. I think he plays bigger than his size, mm. and 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 I agree with you that the instinct uh, for me, the main thing I'd look for in a linebacker. In in terms of safety as well, Si, I feel like safety is kind of the more under, most underrated part of this draft. Maybe in that I think defensive back is the best best position in the draft. I think it's the deepest position. I mean, people really okay. I, I really do. I mean, I think the corner group is terrific. Uh, I think there's, uh, I think there's probably, uh, I mean, there's a number of cornerbacks I, I really like. I mean, Byron Murphy of Washington to me is the number one corner in in the draft. I think he's a an off coverage corner. Um, he is incredibly instinctive. He, he will come up and he will smack you in the mouth. Um, he gets his hands. On, he's, he's like Marcus Peters in a way. He gets his hands on an awful lot of balls. He is very very physical. I wonder whether or not. Um, I wonder whether or not you certainly don't want him in man coverage the whole time. If you're looking for a man coverage corner, then the number one guy would be Greedy Williams, um, who is sticky in man coverage, certainly down the field. Um, he is a sort of dominant press style corner in the best conference. You watch his game against DK Metcalf, for example, doesn't get his hands on players a lot. That's one thing that I think will, will have to change. Another great kid off the field. He's taken no visits, no, not one single 30 private visit has he taken. Teams are so confident in his ability and his mental makeup uh, and where he comes from. And then I think, you know, you've got guys like Dee Dee Baker who played pretty much a 50-50 split of man and zone last year for Georgia. Hasn't been beaten for a touchdown in the last two seasons. There are some issues with him off the field in terms of, I think he'll drive coaches mad with his uh, his practice habits are apparently not great. And then the, I think the highest riser um, and certainly the guy that people are talking about as potentially going, potentially being the first corner off the board and, and certainly in the area that the Pittsburgh Steelers are looking at. And that's Rocky Asin uh, of Temple, who, who's literally played one season of FBS ball. He was a transfer from Presbyterian State College. Uh, he's quick. He's thick physically. Um, and he understands how to play press coverage. He's got starting potential. He's got some position versatility or scheme versatility. Um, and then you, you go down the list. I mean, 
it, it, it's pick your poison. The guys like Lonnie Johnson, big, long, Seattle-style corner. David Long is a very interesting guy. I know a guy that you know very well from Michigan. Um, he's gonna he tested very very well, especially in the in the short shuttle, the three cone, his change of direction, terrific. You've got Justin Lane, a converted wide receiver from Michigan State, who played very well in the back end of the season. Trayvon Mullen at, Cle- at Clemson, better I think than Cordray Tankersley and Mac Alexander. Julian Love of Notre Dame, who was injured in the playoff semifinal, uh, and they really missed him defensively. I think he could be a very very good slot corner. Um, and then the safety class, uh, uh, to me, it's just a fascinating safety class. I think there's so many good players. And I think probably led by Nazir Adderley of Delaware. You watch his tape against uh, Eastern Stick, the, the North uh, Dakota State quarterback. Um, he's the cousin of Herb Adderley, the Hall of Fame corner. I think he's fluid. He's a great sort of deep center field ball hawk. But I also think he could play perimeter corner and he could play on the slot. I, I think he did very well at the senior bowl. Um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson of Florida I think is a Swiss Army knife I think he's probably a bit of a poor man's Minka Fitzpatrick I think he can play deep safety I think he can play in the box and I think he can play slot corner he's the sort of guy that Bill Belichick will will turn into the next um, will turn into the next uh, Devin McCourty type you look at someone like Taylor Rapp of Washington not an athletic specimen necessarily ran slowly didn't his change of direction ability wasn't great but he's just a guy that makes plays you're probably not going to leave him as a single high safety but he's a great kid great character um, and a, a really really good tackler and in this this day and age you're looking for good tacklers and then if you want somebody who's going to smack you in the mouth in the you know a box safety a sort of a, um, a, a, a you know a downhill um, Landon Collins type Jonathan Abraham of Mississippi State is a kind of an undersized linebacker a bit of a, a Dion Buchanan kind of guy um, can he hold up in coverage that's the question that, that teams will ask but in terms of coming downhill and smacking you in the mouth in the running game um, he is uh, he is very good and then two other guys I really like keeping on Darnell Savage of Maryland very athletic uh, versatile kid and, and Juan Thornhill of Virginia again a guy that you just want to see single high played cornerback you can put him down the field and he can get side on side and very very quick um cover guy ball skills um and look you go down right on the field you can go into the third day i mean second day you're going to be looking at kids like amani hooker and uh savion smith if you're looking at corners uh, david long that we just mentioned isaiah johnson of houston is a converted wide receiver he's long really long could be a really good player mike edwards the box safety from from Kentucky is another. So Sean Bunting of Central Michigan, I really enjoyed watching him play. He is a he looks like a starting cornerback in the NFL for me. There are you know there are some very good players and it's a very very deep uh, deep class. Like I said, you'll pick up some third third day guys, Hugo Amadi and Derek Beatty and Saquon Hampton of, of Rutgers, and you'll come away with starters in this league, not just on special teams but actually defensive starters. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's where it's at, isn't it? It's uh, Safety feels like it's not a year where you have a Jamal Adams and a, and a Malik Hooker, but maybe it is a year when, where you have a lot more guys between 20 and 40 than you would usually mm. have who you know, are going to be different styles for different teams as well. Definitely, definitely. And the, you know, there's, there, there's horses for whatever course you're, you're interested in, really, I think. So it'll be fascinating to see how these guys progress and where they end up. And, and just... To kind of round off where we're at now, we're recording this the night before. There are rumours now about Kyler Murray not being the pick at number one. First of all, how much do you enjoy the fact that I feel like for the first time in a long time there's genuine intrigue at this stage? I think it's been in that most people think it's going to be Murray, but 
It does feel like it's a little bit more up in the air than usual. Yeah, although last year was very much the same because we didn't really know that Baker Mayfield was going to go one. I think it's I think it's great. I, I think people, and I suspect the NFL have had, I don't want to say they've had words, but I suspect the NFL have uh, have given a fairly stern warning to teams that, you know, because I can remember times where we get to the draft and we already knew what the first three picks are because the you know the guys were yeah, already yeah. signed. I mean, that's there's no fun in that whatsoever. I want I want Roger Goodell to step to the podium on Thursday night, Friday morning, and, and us not know what's going to happen. In terms of Arizona, it is fascinating. It is truly fascinating. They drafted Josh Rosen last year with the tenth overall pick. They are putting if they are taking Kyler Murray, they are putting an incredible amount of stock in the word of a man who was sacked by Texas Tech earlier in the season in Cliff Kingsbury. And what ultimately what they're saying to a very good general manager who's probably having a bit of a slump, but a very good general manager generally, historically, what they're saying to him is, what you did last year in trading up to get Josh Rosen was pretty terrible. And what we're going to do now is get rid of the guy that you put all your stock in and we're going to bring in somebody else. That to me is fascinating to think that a man that was fired by Texas Tech has that much power. And it does seem like there is an internal struggle there. There have been rumours from very good, very uh, well-connected journalists that Nick Bozer is top of their board. Nick Bozer opposite Chandler Jones would make an enormous amount of sense. They have a quarterback in Josh Rosen. He didn't have a very good year last year. He was also on the worst team in football. You know, and people say, well, you know, he was the reason they were the worst team in football. You know, he he essentially brought them to the number one pick this year. Well, Troy Aikman took Dallas to a one in fifteen record his first year. He was zero eleven before he got pulled. You know, he took Dallas to the first. Yeah, Peyton Manning three and thirty. Peyton Manning. You know, there's lots of examples, isn't there? And I'm not saying that Josh Rosen is going to be Troy Aikman or Peyton Manning. He doesn't have to be, but what he probably deserves is a chance. You know, he has. You know, he was operating with a recuperating David Johnson. His number one receiver was essentially Larry Fitzgerald, who, as amazing and as Hall of Fame as he has been, is a, what, 15-year veteran? His number one tight end was uh, Jermaine Gresham, who's kind of kicked around the league, you know, was never anything much more than a capable number two. In early days in Cincinnati, he was, he was okay. But let's be realistic. And behind the worst offensive line in football, I mean, there's no question about that. That's the key for me. I mean... How many, How many? whenever you see a quarterback that's a bust, how often are they behind bad offensive lines? Exactly. And, and for, for, for me, if I'm Arizona, I, I think I've got Chandler Jones. I don't bother with Nick Bosa. I actually trade back and see if I can pick up two or three O-linemen yep. in this draft. Because that's, that should, for, you've got a young quarterback for me, that should always be the starting point. And maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe they're just trying to sell the pick. Maybe they've bought, I mean, and if they have, and if they've sold Josh Rosen, and said, look, Josh, you are the guy, mate. You are the guy. We are 100% behind you. But what we want to do is float the idea that we're going to take somebody else. We're going to try and, you know, and after the draft, we're going to come out and say, it was all a big ruse and Josh was part of it. And maybe we'll record, we'll, maybe we've recorded a video where we're saying, Josh, this is the, you know, and Josh going, look, I've known all along that this is the situation. We just wanted to make our team better. And what, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? If you can move down, if you can sell pick number one to the Oakland Raiders, if you can sell pick number one to the Cincinnati Bengals or the New York Giants, if you can pick up one, two, three extra first rounders, a couple of set, whatever it takes, and you can you can find yourself an Andre Dillard and a Josh Allen or an Ed Oliver or a Cleland Furl or a you know whoever, if you can do that 
and still retain the quarterback that you you thought was good enough to take and trade up for with a 10th overall pick last year, then you probably do it. And as much as I like Kyler Murray, to me, he's not a transcendent talent. There are still a number of question marks. Transcendent talent, transcendent talents are are rare. They are John Elway. They are Andrew Luck. They are Tua Tungavailoa. They are Trevor Lawrence. They are Peyton Manning. There is not that many over the last 20, 30 years. There's two coming down the pipe, but I, and as good as I as good as I think Kyler Murray is, and he is, there are still question marks. He is a small human playing a very tough position. You know, he's electrifying. He's fantastic with the ball in his hands. He's a great passer. You know, he's efficient. He has good vision from the pocket. He's not a runner in the true sense of the word. He doesn't he doesn't get out of the pocket and break contain because he has to. He's much more like Russell Wilson in that he does so when he feels it's necessary. You know, but there are issues. His out of structure playmaking ability can break open any defense. But there are ways, and Alabama showed it in the um, in the semi final. There are ways with which you can contain him that you know are going to ask ask some questions. And also, I don't think I think his personality in this it has rubbed people the wrong way. Um, you know, over the past three months, I I I don't think he has an alpha personality. You know, Baker Mayfield, Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, these guys have alpha personalities. I'm not sure that Kyler Murray does. And I think the way that he handled the draft situation, the combine, his kind of round of interviews beforehand, his dad being there. I, I, I mean, it's it's a massive, massive decision for Steve Kime and the Cardinals because ultimately Steve Kime's job is on the line. If they don't win seven, eight games this season with Kyler Murray at quarterback, Steve Kime is done. So, yeah, the Arizona Cardinals set up to be the team who defines the draft as the first pick off from this, but maybe more so this year than ever before, given just how much it's in the air. We did ask for some listener questions, so I'm going to ask you a couple of those quickly, Sai, and then I'm just going to ask you if there's any buzz that you hear. And so, first question, and this is an interesting one to me as well. Where do you think Bryce Love will be picked? Because he feels like a little bit like the forgotten man of this draft. And I get that he's a running back, but he was so special, wasn't he? Two years ago, we're thinking Heisman campaign this year. It doesn't materialise through injury. But is, it, is he, are people sleeping on Bryce Love a little bit? I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, he's coming off the, he's coming off the ACL injury. And I saw a, a, a well-respected doctor. Um, so He released a video the other day. Um, saying, essentially showing his workout and um, what he was able to do. But it, I, I think, essentially, um, I, I saw Tom Pelissaro report a, a couple of days ago that his there's the, quite a lot of stiffness in his knee uh, uh, after the operation. And he's four months down the line, and it's not he's not in the position with which I think teams would have hoped he would have been. Um, his movement and the regaining of it and his explosiveness after that reconstruction, I think, is concerning teams. Um, now, I I saw him release one of those Player Tribune letters uh, yesterday talking about how, you know, you couldn't count him out, that he wouldn't come back, that he would come back. Um, I don't... I mean, it's tough because I don't know the, the ins and outs of the of the medical, but... It would not surprise me if he went undrafted. I'm not going to lie. Um, but then I think 
you know, a team in the, with an, with multiple picks on the third day in the sixth, seventh round, take a chance, redshirt a kid. You know, he's a great human being. He's a great teammate. He's a leader, leads by example. You know, and if if you do bet on him and he does come round, you know, don't forget this is a kid that essentially delivered the most explosive season in NCAA history uh, as a running back. You know, he is a if he's healthy is a very very good player. Um, but it would not surprise me if he fell out of the draft completely because I just think teams worry too much. But I think a team that's comfortable in its own skin, the Patriots, the Eagles, you know, teams like that, teams that win, the Rams, I, I could easily see them taking him and just saying, you know what, just sit there for for two years or for for a year, get better, and then let's see where we are. Next question, and... I've got a thought on this as well, but it's will DK Metcalf be the only wide receiver taken in the first round? No. I don't think DK Metcalf should be taken in the first round. And I kind of hope he won't be, and I don't mean that to, as a negative on the kid, but I, I just I just feel like teams need to learn that there maybe isn't the value in a guy who, I mean, he runs two or three routes. He's got a great, a great specimen, but actually, if you look at the little agility tests he's terrible the, the numbers are so bad on those and that mm. those are the key to playing wide receiver more than any straight line speed i mean I, I think there is there are lots of very good receivers in this draft uh, i don't think there's lots of necessarily great receivers in this draft i don't even think he's the best receiver from mississippi state if i'm honest i think aj brown was better than him but you look at guys like i mean look i think i counted 19 six foot three and above draftable receivers you look at you know Hakeem Butler, Nikhil Harry, I mean, Kelvin Harmon, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Uh, Marquise Brown, I think, might be the first receiver to go off the board in the draft. I, it would not surprise me if D.K. Metcalf fell into the second round. I saw Albert Breer say the other day he couldn't find a single team that would take D.K. Metcalf in the first round. You look at Riley Ridley, you look at Terry McLaurin of, of Ohio State, Paris Campbell of Ohio State, a guy you and I really like, Andy Isabella of, of, of UMass. The West Virginia kids, uh, Gary Stills and uh, David Stills and Gary Jennings, I I would have huge concerns about drafting DK Metcalf in the first round. To me, he's too big. I think he's a muscle injury. He's just a he's David Boston. He's a series of muscle injuries waiting to happen. I don't think he's a, a particularly good route runner. I don't think he's got great. You know, it's not like he's got great hands. Um, I would not draft DK Metcalf in the first round, not on anybody's book. And I certainly don't think he'll be the first. Yeah, he may well be, but I certainly would be surprised if he was the first receiver off the board. And this one was something we discussed a little bit on the last show, but how far do you think Jeffrey Simmons drops? I, I don't I, think we're thinking past the teens, really, are we? No, I mean, I... I I would not be surprised if he went at 13 to the Miami Dolphins. I would not be surprised if he went earlier, frankly. He is a top five overall player in this draft. He's not just a top five defensive tackle. He's a top five overall player in this draft. He is that special. Um, I, I saw that Michael Lombardi said that he had polled a number of, um, a number of uh, front office people around the league and that uh, at least two of them had said that they had Jeffrey Simmons as the number one player overall in the draft. Michael Lombardi's son now works for the Miami Dolphins. I think that Jeffrey Simmons will go in the top 15 picks. Um, people talk about a risk. Obviously, he tore his ACL. For a team like the Dolphins, who are essentially counting out 2019, all of a sudden to turn around in 2020, and you've got this absolute beast of a defensive tackle who made Montez sweat better. 
um, would be a big thing. I think you know you're going to have to bargain on a red shirt year for him. Some of the off the field concerns, I mean, of which there was only one. There was a video of him hitting a woman when she was on the floor. He was trying to break up a fight between the woman and his sister. This was in high school, in his final year of high school. He is a. I mean, this is not Joe Mixon. He is a utterly reformed character. There is a documentary. Uh, it's only about nine or ten minutes on YouTube, which is easy to find. Um, he is a team leader. He is. He uh, has won awards for his work off the field. In terms of he does counselling work, he does all sorts of things. He's a, a phenomenal student athlete with a three point five GPA. Uh, he's married. He has a child. He is a a good human who made a mistake in trying to break up a fight in which his sister was having the the, the crap being out of her. Um, he will go in the top fifteen. I, I suspect, and he will go in the first round. I, I absolutely do not believe that he will not go in the first round. He is too good a player. And if he was healthy and hadn't had the, the, the black mark on his on his card, as it were, he would be a top eight pick. And the next question, this is the last one we'll do because we're starting to run a bit long, is which team is most likely to provide a shock pick? I'm going to give a little one here. I think if Hawkinson slips past 12, the Patriots could move up for him. I think he's the only guy that would do it. For. Yeah. It would not surprise me if... The Oakland Raiders did something wacky at four. Maybe take Dwayne Haskins, for example. It would not surprise me. And I know that I know that the New York Giants would like a pass rusher. But if Josh Allen is off the board, if they feel like it's too salty for sweat and burns, if Oliver's gone, if Quinn Williams is gone, it would not surprise me if they took Daniel Jones there. I, I think they are primed to take Daniel Jones, and it would not surprise me to see that they took him at six. Um, I think they would rather take Jones at six and say Cleland Furl at, at 17 than take Brian Burns at six and Daniel Jones at at, uh, at 17 yeah. because I think Furl overall is a better player than, than Burns. So I, I think the Giants and the Raiders could be fun. But the, listen, there's going to be trades. There's always trades. There'll be teams trading up. There'll be teams trading down. It would not surprise me to see the the Packers move try and move up for Ed Oliver. It wouldn't surprise me, like you said, to see the Patriots try and move up. The Houston Texans moving up for Andre Dillard or one of the tackles. Um, so it will be fascinating to see. You are a seriously heavy breather, dude. I'm the worst in the world. <laughs> it's one of the it's one of the real low points of life. Um, one more question, actually. Giants have so many holes to fill. Where should they be looking? You've just answered that. Pass rusher, quarterback, so Rich Stone there. And Your answer is already and in. And the offensive um, line. Offensive line's a car crash. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, finally, is there any little nuggets that you hear and that maybe aren't out there that not, you think could happen? Not really. And in a way, it's good because I like that. And also, I just think for my own personal thing, I kind of like... At this point in the draft, I kind of don't want to hear what all the insiders have got. So I, I just want to let the. I, I tend to steer clear of social media and chat rooms, uh, you know, uh, forums, and those sorts of things on draft day. I, I just kind of want to let it wash. I don't. You've waited so long. I want the surprise to wash over me. I just don't want to be told that that this team is definitely going to take that player and that player is definitely going to go to this team. And one one thing that does a, a rumor that I've heard from a number of people within the Green Bay Packers or around the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are very big fans of Drew Locke. Now, it, it would not be; it would be a massive surprise. But it's not like they don't have history doing it. 
you know, I mean, me personally, if you think that Aaron Rodgers has got three, four years left, I try and surround Aaron Rodgers with as much talent as possible. TJ Hokinson, I take wide receivers. I get a, a tackle who can probably, I get a Dalton Risner, a guy who can play tackle guard center. I get a, a wide receiver who I know is going to going to help. I get a slot guy like a Paris Campbell to replace Randall Cobb. I go up and get, I get Hawkinson and then I continue to fill out I get, and I get a pass rushing defensive end. That's what I do. I would not take a, a quarterback at all. But how, how do you think, how do you think Rodgers would react? I think he'd react Based in the, on everything we've heard recently. I think he'd react in the very same way that Brett Favre reacted 15 years ago or however long yeah. it was. Um, I mean, to me, it would be mind-boggling of uh, of Brian Gutenkunst and, uh, and that front office and Matt Lafleur to do that. But rumors are rumors for a reason, so we shall see. Yep, that's great. Let's leave it there, Sai. We will be back after the opening round to, to give some thoughts into the main podcast because we are getting together in Manchester to watch this. Um, yeah, I will. Sp- I'll see you tomorrow, Sai, and we'll. We'll chat again closer to the time. Look forward to it. Right, let's check the latest odds now with our friends at Skybet. Jacob is with us. It's been a while, Jacob. Have you been enjoying your off-season? Yes, certainly have. It's, uh, well, it was, we were, February we had the Super Bowl and then it was the Combine before you knew it and then it was straight into draft prep and draft's been pretty busy this year. I think there's been a massive uptake, which I think is a good thing in that it seems like we're getting more fans deeper into the nfl which as you have to be really to be to be looking at these draft markets so i think that's all good really it's interesting i think because it's not a particularly predictable draft this year a lot of opportunity for trades etc but that means there's also a lot of value in the market i imagine what kind of markets have you guys got on offer so we've got obviously the first overall pick then you can back top two top three top four top five in exact orders so if you've done your own mock draft you can almost kind of back you know put your money where your mouth is there and and back what you've been what you've mocked you can back top five pick top 10 pick name of the first of each position to be drawn and then we've got already over 100 requests to bets on site i can only imagine that's going to get maybe double that tomorrow as the the demand has been really big over the last few days so if you want to combine any of the markets we've got on site all you've got to do is tweet in at request a bet and we can add those two as well so what is that number one overall market looking like so i imagine that's the one that people are, are most interested in absolutely so sitting at the favorite we've got kyla murray this was an interesting one where when the market got put out straight after the super bowl nick bosa was really short nick bosa was about one to three and then obviously the Cardinals got in their new head coach and there'd been all that talk that he wanted Kyler Murray and that he fit his system. And after a while, you saw the market really flip and Kyler Murray go from what was four to one or five to one to now what was at one to six. It's now sitting at one to four, as I think there's been that talk of is there smoke and mirrors? Do they actually now want to go with Bosa or are they, did they unable to ship Rosen and therefore want to stay with Murray? But if you do want to back Nick Bosa, then he's now out at seven to two. Then you've got Quinn and Williams at seven to one. Next after that, you've got Dwayne Haskins twenty-five to one, Josh Allen twenty-five to one, Ed Oliver fifty to one. But 
talking about 90 to 95 percent of the money is on the top three there murray bosa and williams it seems like it's very much a three horse race yeah it feels to me like that's that's one of those markets where people are saying if it's going to be the cardinals picking there then this is the direction they're going to go in but obviously the other reason you make that it's worth having a look at backing murray is if the cardinals have been trying to play a little mind games trying to get some people to draw into a trade you move up to one because you want a quarterback that that's why you spend the inordinate amount of money that moving up to one costs. So that's the other thing I'm taking into consideration when I'm putting together my little mini board of, uh, of bits that, that I, I'm looking for. Um, so this is something I put together as a request a bet is what my top four is going to be. And kind of I've done this in the imagination that teams aren't going to move, but also with the idea that if they do move, I still think it's the same players that would go, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I think that's the way you've kind of got to do it. I think as much as we can sit here and go, oh, so-and-so's looking at trading, it's too hard to predict a trade, right? You don't know who's calling who or what happens. I think you've got to go with the teams that they are in that order. And like you say, if you go maybe safe-ish where you go, right, if someone's trading up, they're probably still taking Kyler Murray. So I think that's the way to go about it, definitely. And I'm also uh, a little bit with number four overall, uh, thinking about the fact that we're almost expecting a, a surprise pick, as they called it, from the Oakland Raiders. So uh, I, whilst they need an edge rusher, I, I've gone with. So Kyler Murray at the top, Nick Bosa, two overall, which is a 49ers fan. Ooh-wee, I'd be delighted. Yes. Uh, and Williams, the Jets just need more talent on defence, and he is the best player in the draft. I think that's why you go there. And then I've gone for Ed Oliver to the Raiders, which... I know people are talking about edge pressure because of uh, Mac and, and Josh Allen has been potentially uh, put out there, but I'm not sure that Allen does fit what they are looking for. And I think Ed Oliver is a more disruptive player, even if he's not an edge bender. So maybe I'm giving the Raiders too much credit. I think he'll be a longer term <laughs> success, even if it's not the more blue chip position. So that's my four Murray, Bosa, Williams, then Ed Oliver. Right. So that's up now at 12 to 1. I think, like you said, Murray, that's a fairly safe one at number one. I think as much as there was the smoke and mirrors, I do think it's almost now to a point where they've almost alienated Rosen so much, you kind of have to go for it. And I, I guess it, the only way, I was thinking about this the other day, the only way is if you were right up front with him at the beginning of the process and went, look, we're going to say some things because yep. we're going to put some stuff out there in the world because we want to trade out of this spot because we think we've got a franchise quarterback in you. But yep. you've just got to accept that that means it's going to sound like we don't want you. Is that cool? You've got to have kind of had that conversation in advance, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. And I suppose, uh, yeah, how likely that is, I don't know. But I think also as a as a front office, you know, it sounded like it was Kingsbury who wanted Murray, not necessarily the ownership. But I think when you bring in a head coach, I think if you want him to do well, you give him what he wants to succeed. Give mm. him the tools if you then want to judge him. I think it's unfair to bring someone in not give them who they want, and then in two years' time go, oh, why didn't your scheme work? So I think, yeah, I think, like you say, it's fairly safe, and if they trade out of it, that's the beauty of the kind of number one pick. You're not backing who the Cardinals are going to draft. You're backing who's going to go number one, and there's been all sorts of talk on trades, so I think you're still fairly safe in there. At Nick Bosa, again, yeah, I think for me, he's, he's who I want the Niners to take, that's for sure. I think there's that... You look at it and you go, right, you go biggest need or you go best player available. I agree with you, Quinn and Williams is the best player available in the draft, but I just don't know how many 
how many years can we justify the Niners taking interior D linemen? I think I they've just, done I, it for so I, many years. And I just don't think they actually need it because I think if we're getting a little too specific on this pick now, but <laughs> if, if you've <laughs> if you've got if you're looking at the fact that you've already got an absolute stud and a superstar in there in DeForest Buckner, but actually yeah. if you get somebody more pure out on the edge, that helps Solomon Thomas because he gets the one-on-one matchups. It helps the other yeah. guys playing inside, whether it's Armstead, you know, whoever it may be. I think that it is the complementary piece that kicks the others into a higher gear as well because they're not expected to do jobs getting their hands in the dirt, which are outside. Then you've got D Ford on the other side. It starts to look like a real sexy D-line, guys. So uh, do it, do it, do it. But more importantly, my request to bet's on at 12 to 1, so you should go and back it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's the, yeah. We've got a little too hepped up on the Nick Bosa there, but we'll just uh, finish off with Quinn and Williams at, at the Jets, like you said. I think it's the best player available. If they don't trade out, which there's talk they might do, then it looks like they may be choosing between Williams, Oliver, and Allen. I think, again, they do have that pass rush need, but I don't think they're as set as the Niners are at interior D-linemen where you go, oh, we'll just ignore the best player in the draft. So I think they're more likely now to go for Williams. And then the Raiders really spoke about, like you say, Ed Oliver, very disruptive. I think they can use him in a better way than he was used at college. You know, they used him in that zero-tech, straight-up nose-tech over the centre. He's not that big a guy. He's only about 280 pounds. So I think if you can put him, like you say, in the three-tech, let him be explosive, his ability has changed direction, his weight is incredible. And I think he could be that that big disruptive guy for them. And the whole Jets wanting to take Oliver really only came apparently because the Raiders said they wanted to take Oliver and it was all her. Can we get them now to trade up if we say we want him? So like they say, everything you hear before the draft is a lie. Classic, classic. Uh, Brilliant (laughs) stuff as always, Jacob. And of course, full terms and conditions at skybeck.com. Please do gamble responsibly. It is over 18s only. Massive thank you to to, to Jacob, to Matt, to Simon as well. Brilliant stuff from all of the guys involved. If you're not hyped for the draft now, well... You're probably not an NFL fan because everyone's got to be hyped for the draft. Or maybe you're just not like a Saints fan or who else doesn't have a first round pick. Should probably know this by now. I'll do some research before tonight. It'll be fine. You've done your research. You've listened to Simon and Matt. Thank you so much for listening. At Gridiron on Twitter for all the updates from tonight's draft. You're listening to the, you've been listening to The Gridiron Show.